Welcome to Cybercast 2.0. I'm your host, James Mersall. For our third episode recorded during National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, we're traveling to Capitol Hill to speak with Congressman Jerry Connolly, who has represented Virginia's 11th District since 2008 and has served as the chairman on the House Oversight Committee's Subcommittee on Government Operations since 2013. He is a champion of IT modernization reform, notably having co-sponsored the Federal Information Technology Acquisition Reform Act, better known as FITARA, which passed in 2014. Today, we talk about agencies' progress on the standards and directives codified in FITARA, from FITARA scorecards to data center consolidation. We also looked at IT modernization, discussing both the Modernizing Government Technology Act, also known as MGT, and the Associated Technology Modernization Fund, or TMF. Finally, we discuss Congressman Connolly's upcoming priorities, most notably taking the Federal Risk and Authorization Management Program, also known as FedRAMP, and not only codifying into law, but also finding solutions to streamline the process and make it less onerous to small businesses seeking to enter the federal IT space. Thank you for joining us, Congressman Connolly. Let's get started. What are your current priorities as the chairman of the Subcommittee on Government Operations, and what challenges are you facing in this regard? We're going to continue to monitor compliance with FITAR, the Federal Information Technology Acquisition Reform Act. And uh, as you know, we've had scorecards. And uh, we have another hearing for the next scorecard scheduled, I believe, in December. Great. And so making sure agencies are complying and trying to improve their scores is really important. We have, I think, seven categories in which we grade people, and then there's an overall grade. And, uh, you know, we've been making progress. One of the areas I'm particularly concerned about is data center consolidation, And we have seen over 6,000 data centers consolidated or eliminated for savings cumulatively of $2.7 billion. So, um, and those savings hopefully can be reinvested in the enterprise. That's great to hear. So I want to drill down a little bit more into federal IT consolidation, which I've heard you speak about before. What strategies should agencies pursue to meet the targets that are outlined in legislation right now? And How does IT consolidation differ from the administration's term of optimization? I think you're talking about data centers. Yes. We were alarmed when we saw that change in language by OMB. We interpreted that as a diminution in the commitment, that it it was a lesser standard that agencies had to meet. We met with OMB officials and clarified that, and we're satisfied that they are back on track, that that was not necessarily their intent, and they share our goal of uh, trying to uh, significantly reduce the number of data centers as an enormous inefficiency in the federal government. So I think we've sufficiently clarified that, that that's not what they intended and that they share our goal. So you also mentioned uh, FATARA, or the Federal Information Technology Acquisition Reform Act. You mentioned that some agencies are improving, you're seeing improvement more or less across the board with the scorecards. How would you say agencies are doing with regards to the scorecard and the various categories contained within the scorecard? And what are they doing well? What areas need improvement? And how can the federal government support those improvements? Well, obviously, we can and should continue to make more progress on data center consolidation. That's where the savings are to be had. And uh, trying to free up those savings to reinvest in the enterprise, trying to retire legacy systems. And that's another piece here. The MGT Act was designed to create, you know, to free up those resources to reinvest in the enterprise and to create a fund 
that would be seed capital for retiring old legacy systems and investing in new ones. Unfortunately, Congress has not really provided the appropriations that I think are needed to make MGT really work robustly. And so it's slow going in retiring legacy systems, especially with other fiscal pressures on agencies. So I think that's falling behind. We're also looking at even personnel issues. You know, we want to move toward having a primus inter pares, a first among equals in terms of CIOs. When we first wrote FATAR, there were 250 people with the title CIO spread out over 24 federal agencies and, and departments. And that's absurd. And Absolutely. that is a system of no accountability and no responsibility. If you ask any major corporation, the answer is almost invariably one. We have one CIO like we have one CEO. That's not true in the federal government. So rather than mandate that you can only have one, what we have tried to do is you pick one who's going to be chief among equals, and that person needs to report to the boss. If you have a CIO who reports to the deputy assistant undersecretary of widgets in the bowels of the basement, nobody's going to pay attention to that person. They get right away where you fit in the org chart. So making sure that we have a CIO that's the primary CIO who directly reports to the boss is to immediately infuse that position with authority, accountability, and responsibility. And those are really important, we think, basic management reforms, without which you're never going to fully succeed in IT modernization. And I think that should help with personal issues all the way down. I hear from cybersecurity employees in the federal government who you know, have either literally or figuratively spent their careers in a closet, and knowing that their concerns are being taken a little more seriously is definitely a step towards... That's right. And, you know, just to expand a little bit on other things, I mean... Project risk management, you know, we FATARA requires agencies to identify high-risk projects, IT projects. And, of course, the bureaucratic response often is we don't want to admit to any. Well, that doesn't help anything. And so I think we've made a lot of progress in getting people more comfortable. There's not some punitive action that's going to follow because you've said you've got six high-risk projects. That's good management practice. We're monitoring that. We're, it's under careful scrutiny, and we're going to give that special attention in terms of management. And that's how we want it to work. So in various categories, I think we have seen progress, but there are other categories where, no question, we need to see more. So talking a little bit more about appropriations and making sure that there are ways to modernize and the funds exist for technology modernization across agencies. I think I last saw the current amount appropriated towards the, the TMF or Technology Modernization Fund is $35 million in the House and zero in the Senate. I know that's far less than you and several others, others would like. Where can Congress find common ground on technology modernization? And are there ways that agencies can improve if the amount ends up being $35 million or higher or worst case scenario, there is no money in the Technology Modernization Fund? Where do they make those improvements? Well, there are two aspects to this. One is the efficiencies that are achieved, especially through data center consolidation, the intent of MGT was to allow agencies to take that money and reinvest in their IT modernization efforts, not lose it. And some agencies are doing that and are creating their own capital funds pursuant to that. 
But we also have learned that there are, uh, you know, general counsels in various agencies who claim that those agencies don't have the authority, legal authority, to do that, even though we passed a bill that says you can't. So we're going to have to address that piece legislatively, if not uh, administratively. So that's one issue. And I think that's one that's readily resolvable. Reassuring, or in some cases, just making sure the lawyers understand how the law Yeah, or is clarify for them, you, we're, Congress really meant that, you know. We don't think that's really necessary, but if they're getting conflicting advice from their own counsels, then we're going to have to address that. The second, one of the hurdles, at least. Yeah, but the second issue is this fund, this capital fund, the MGT fund that has not received the appropriations we think are adequate. And that's partially a an education effort for a lot of members of Congress, not, you know, daily dealing with these issues. It is counterintuitive when you're spending $96 billion a year in IT as a federal government that you need more. Over and above that, you need some separate fund to help us retire legacy systems and upgrade to new ones. And, you know, we have to educate people that, well, yeah, we're spending $96 billion a year, but about 70 or 80% of that is simply maintaining legacy systems. So we don't have the capital, even though it looks like you do, frankly, to catalyze or incentivize managers to junk their old systems and take that leap into the 21st century with contemporary technology. So, People need seed capital or a catalyst to help them uh, do that. So we have some educational work still to do with our colleagues as to need and the return on the investment. So is it that seed capital that's kind of the main roadblock? I'm, I'm curious because I was telling somebody who's not as keyed into federal IT about the the, the problem that 70 or 80% of the $96 billion spent on IT is operations and maintenance for legacy systems. And they asked me, you know, it seems like it should be a pretty easy sell to say, look, if you can get rid of some of those old systems and put in new ones, that's a huge cost-saving measure. Is the lack of funds the main roadblock there, or is it more just a lack of understanding? I would really say it's the lack of understanding. It's just not a high priority at first blush, and we need to do a better job of making the argument that there's a very significant return on this investment. At relatively small cost, we can have big payoff. And so uh, I think we need to redouble our efforts with our colleagues on both sides of the aisle to make that case. So you've also spoken about taking uh, the Federal Risk and Authorization Management Program, better known as FedRAMP, and supporting it in Congress, possibly even codifying it into law to give it that extra legislative backing. Why is that so important for you? And what steps are you planning to take next to give FedRAMP more, I guess, oomph across the federal government? Well, FedRAMP is entirely a creature of the executive branch and could go away tomorrow morning. And lacking statutory home, that is quite conceivable. So we think codifying FedRAMP in law is a necessary and desirable thing to do as we proceed with FedRAMP certifications. And I think, by and large, probably the folks in the executive branch agree with that. They don't want it to be an orphan always at risk. And so our bill would authorize FedRAMP in law and would probably sunset it 10 years from now, subject to reauthorization. But we do more than that. So we also, we start to get into the process itself. So 
we receive lots of complaints about FedRAMP in terms of how arbitrary it can be, reinventing the wheel. So you go to one window and you're certified, but then the next window says, well, no, you start all over again. This costs a lot of money. And if you're one of the big companies providing services to the federal government, you might be able to absorb that cost. But if you're a sort of a, a highly specialized, small, medium-sized business or minority-owned or small business set-aside company, frankly, you cannot afford to risk millions of dollars and as much as two years in the process. Now, remember, it was designed to be an expeditious process, quarter of a million dollars, six months, and you're certified, or you're not. But that is not how it worked out. So we're trying to help expedite the process and return it to its original goal. One thing we do is the presumption of adequacy so that if you've been certified over here, we presume you are qualified to be certified over there. There can be individual specialized certifications that are required. But the idea that you have to go through the process de novo as if you had not already done it uh, is something we want to avoid. And that's an inefficiency we want to try to eliminate. We're looking at providing as much as $25 million toward increased capacity for FedRAMP in approving PMOs and other certification processes. So I think it's a necessary piece of legislation. Uh, we've worked with the industry and we work with the executive branch to make sure that you know we've got all of the T's crossed and I's dotted, and I think we're ready to move that bill. That's good to hear. It sounds a lot like what uh, the government is trying to do with security clearances. I know, having worked with some people who are adjacent to the intelligence community, you know, those could take, I think, at one point, 400 plus days for a top secret and trying yeah. to get that process down because people don't want to wait two years to, to serve their country. Absolutely. And frankly, it's also an economic issue. As uh, representing a high tech district with lots of federal contractors, I can tell you there were thousands of jobs that could be up and running tomorrow. They're funded, but they're vacant because of security clearance backlog. So lastly, I wanted to ask, looking towards the future, what are you focusing on next for your subcommittee and on the House floor in general? Are there any federal challenges you're preparing for in advance for the guards to IT modernization or cybersecurity? And are there any opportunities in that regard that you're keeping in mind? Well, as I said, we're focused on FedRAMP. I hope to move that bill. We're looking at other aspects of the federal government, not necessarily IT related, but you know, we're looking at legislation to provide for more accountability and transparency when the inspectors general meet in committee to police themselves. Mm -hmm. We believe that process could be improved and needs to be improved. And so we have legislation on that. We had a hearing about that. Mm -hmm. We continue to be worried about things like the Merit System Protection Board, which was allowed to really go fallow for a long period of time for want of appointments to the board. And what do you do when that happens? And so we have, again, we, we had a hearing and we've got legislation that would kind of address the gap that exists between a full board being able to operate and no board at all being able to operate. What do you do in that time period besides just collect a huge backlog of appeals? So there are a lot of I think good government measures that we're going to be looking at. We continue, frankly, to be at odds with the administration about its ill-conceived plan to abolish the Office of Personal Management and divvy it up among agencies whose mission is 
not at all similar to OPMs. And the rationale, interestingly, comes back to IT. So the acting director of OPM at the time, Ms. Weikert, actually made the argument that, well, we're going to divvy up a lot of OPM to GSA because they have a better IT system. To which I said, well, AID has an even better IT system, so maybe what we do is give the Agency for International Development all of the OPM <laughs> responsibilities. I mean, the answer is improve OPM's IT, right. not abolish the agency. And there are so many federal employees, obviously, very dependent on OPM for you know, retirement processing, the open enrollment for healthcare benefits, and uh, promotion, job application, security clearances. OPM is a very important agency, and uh, we want to make it work, not abolish it, and risk diluting the services it provides to a couple of million federal employees and retirees. It sounds like a classic example of wanting to get rid of something without really thinking about what replaces it, or even if you should abolish it in the first place by building something better. Thank you for your time, Representative Connolly, and my look great forward pleasure. To seeing what goes forward with uh, legislation in your committee. Thank you. Cybercast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. It is hosted by James Mersall and produced by Amy Kluber. It is edited by Resonate Recordings. For more podcasts, head to governmentcio.com slash podcasts. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com. Thank you.